0: soul Knox podcast and i'm your host carl hikara and this is episode number 83 and this week on the podcast i'm joined by fellow horseman of the podcast apocalypse uh jackie schmidt main man behind the podcast into the necrosphere of course and uh yeah fellow brother brother of the apocalypse so to say and um Continuing on our, our kind of uh, tendency on our on our episodes to we'll be talking about particular things that we love, um, and we're, uh, we're covering, uh, this time, uh, the band Nevermore, who of course is, I think, one of the most underrated bands uh, in heavy metal as a whole. An amazing, great band that, um, yeah, it was a real pleasure to talk about it with Jackie, um... You know, he got to interview interview World Dane, um, you know, and we talked about that and talk about each album and get into the discog, yeah, through the whole discography, giving some of our favorite songs from each album and, um, about generally trying to pick about two songs, each album that, that we, uh, chose and we talked about, uh, and, um, and went over, what do we, you know, stuff about the band history, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, um... Yeah, I think it's a much-needed kind of um, tribute to a band that uh, I think is an amazing band that's very much overlooked, uh, underrated, and should be, uh, I guess, you know, spotlight um, put on it. So I'm hoping this episode really helps to... Maybe if you haven't listened to Nevermore, uh, please go and give them a listen, and then if you have you know, maybe uh, inspire you to go back and re-listen to the, the discography and, and all their albums. There were another one of those bands like Paradise Lost or Danzig, um, My Dying Bride, bands like that, who, um, for me, even the worst, quote-unquote worst, Nevermore album is still an 8 out of 10. So, you know, they're just one of those real classic, great bands. And, um, yeah, so that's what we're doing this episode. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I've got to make sure, I think the next episode that's going to be coming out is going to be with Casey from, uh, Obsidian Shrine. That episode, yeah, will be out on, uh, this, this, this Thursday. Then we got, next week will be, uh, Darkness Weaves, um, the next episode, Darkness Weaves with, uh, Mike Hill. I believe the story we're covering is Undertow. It's one of the Kane stories. And you can go and check that out. Um, Pretty much the only real affordable way to read any of the Kane stuff is to get the uh, Kindle versions that have absolutely horrible covers. But uh, that's pretty much the only way you're going to read that stuff. So, you know, it's like three bucks. I spent $20, got all of the Kane stories and novels all in one go. So um, I'm all set. Um, I don't really generally like to read on my phone, you know or Kindle that kind of stuff but um you know I have to do it for the for the uh for this next part of our podcast and so yeah go and give it a, a read before you uh listen to the episode next week and then the second episode of next week will be the horror hotel about the 1997 classic phantoms so give that a watch too before that comes out and I guess we'll get into the plugs before before we get into the episode. So every other Monday you have Horror... Sorry. Belong to the Horseman Podcast Apocalypse, who I mentioned earlier. Which is every other Monday is Brandon Legion with Warwolf 666 Every Tuesday is my guest today, Jackie Schmidt with Into the Necrosphere. Every uh, Wednesday is Everything Went Black. Of course, where Mike Hill who, of course, we're doing the Darkness Weave series with, split between Solnox and Everything Went Black. Every Thursday is Necromaniacs with Mike Kill, Mike Scandado, and Jeff Kashid. Every uh, Friday you have Spitball Media, formerly known as Break the Apocalypse. And at intermittent times when he feels like it, he got ableist manifestations with Cheyenne from Trivax. And, um, my my, uh, uh, other associated podcasts who's not part of the horseman is of course mycelium signal with Konstantin Toonhovi from Tuporti and uh, he just put out uh, an episode with uh, Matt Cardin the great weird fiction uh, writer and uh, so we go check that out it's awesome and for everybody who I mentioned and of course myself as well please uh, subscribe to uh, to us and spread the word. You can follow us on social media. You can find me at either my name or at Denver Underground Radio, which is the online radio station I run, um, which we have shows every Tuesday and Thursday live at www.denverundergroundradio.com, starting at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can go on the Instagram. You can get links to the Spotify playlists of the episodes as well as seeing all the playlists um, written out and uh, all the information for the podcast as well. So uh, go follow on there. And um, last but not least, I have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash podcast. $2 a month and you get to support the podcast and help keep things afloat and uh, get two to four bonus episodes a month so uh yeah greatly appreciate any anybody who signs up and supports the podcast and keeps things going and of course you'll get mentioned on the main feed as well when you sign up and uh so yeah so that is what it is so now we're going to get into the episode nevermore with jackie schmidt and i'm gonna start it off by playing one of my favorite songs from nevermore which is called born from this godless endeavor i hope you guys enjoy the episode hail satan back to the podcast Jackie for our next uh, our next band
1: band band deep dive or whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah i've well, i've been looking forward to this one because i think you and i both feel equally strongly about this band in the in the sense that i think we're both confused as to why this band never got more popular <laughs> excuse me um you know and, and also uh i mean i just genuinely love this band I, I i've adored them you know pretty much ever since i discovered them and especially when i discovered them they weren't it, you know it wasn't really my style of music so um you know the fact that they kind of cut through as they did is uh is quite incredible
0: yeah yeah i feel like um <clears throat> like on um agitators anonymous alan always talks about how there's like this alternate universe where slayer kept down the path of uh of south of heaven you know like they, they went more sinister more whatever i feel like in an uh, alternate universe uh metal as a whole took influence from nevermore you know what i mean and and heavy metal went down that path as opposed to the kind of you know new metal path and all the stuff that happened you know what i mean like like because to me nevermore was like the natural extension of what heavy metal was in the late 80s early 90s the kind of more and then they they progressed the genre forward in a way that I feel like was maybe too much for a lot of people. I mean, I don't, there's a, you know, it wasn't like, uh, um, maybe also they're, they're taking in extreme metal influences as well as they went on, you know, like that shows up in some of the albums and, but I just feel like that's the way metal should have gone is the way Nevermore, but, uh, it's not what happened. <laughs>
1: No, definitely not. And I mean, it, it was, should, should we give folks a primer? I mean, they've, they've, they've most likely, because I know you'll you'll talk about it in the intro, but we're talking about Nevermore. Yeah. Uh, a band formed in Seattle in 1992 um, and formed from the ashes of uh, one of War Dane, Nevermore's vocalists, other bands, Sanctuary. Um, and yeah, I, I think the interesting thing was about the time when they were coming out. It was right around the time where Metal was kind of starting to make a bit of a resurgence um, post-grunge. Um, so you'd had uh, Pantera putting out Far Beyond Driven, in, um, I believe, in 1994, and that was number one on the Billboard charts. Um, Machine Ed brought out Burn My Eyes. So the, there was definitely a, a bit of a groundswell, again, as far as more mainstream uh, metal was, w- was concerned. Obviously, you know, you also had black metal and everything like that happening in the background in Norway but you know as far as 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 uh, you know as far as commercial metal pre new metal you know they 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 started at a time where genuinely you would have thought that they would have caught fire a little bit more and i i i do think just as kind of an opening gambit maybe one of the reasons why that never happened is i think initially when when people would hear warrell's vocals and i know that i was guilty of this as well um when when i when i first heard them is you would kind of think oh this is a new metal band and then you go not new metal sorry um power metal band and then you write them off almost as a you know dragons fairies bullshit and you just go okay i'm moving on i'm you know I'll go. I'll go straight back to my my Pantera albums, or my Machine Head albums, or my Slayer albums, or you know whatever the case may be. And it, it actually turns out once you dig into it that they were, I, I think, one of the most probably um, in intricate, complex bands of their style that I think metal has ever produced.
0: The thing that always attracted me about Nevermore is that I'm not really into like super like complicated music generally i don't really generally like progressive music for example and yet for some reason i love nevermore and i think the reason is that they um always manage to have hooks and and things in their music like like where you're particularly war world's vocals where you're like you can really ke- grab onto what they're doing and it's catchy and it sticks in your heart hi- and your mind you know what i mean like that was uh, that was like the big hook for me i mean i actually found about nevermore in a very weird way so it was from um, his um, uh, uh, guest guest uh, appearance on um, uh, what, what's it called um, Behemoth's album, um, The Apostasy. So oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So we did the vocals on um, on uh, I forget what song it is. I think it's um, let me check real quick. I haven't listened to the album in a minute but
1: uh uh he was the vocalist on track nine yeah um in a sanctum
0: yeah that's the one so i really loved his vocals on that song like i was really like who is this like you know so i actually like did digging on you know whatever on metal archives and just like okay world dane who's this guy oh he's in this band called nevermore and then that's how i checked out nevermore was through through that it might sound kind of a funny way but so my attraction to nevermore was because of his vocals at the first and then um because i really liked his vocals on that track so, so then i started picking up all their albums you know
1: well i'd heard snippets of the their first two records nevermore and the politics of ecstasy and as i said i i'd kind of written them off as a power metal band you know and in my ignorance i uh, probably had only listened to about a minute of each of the two or three songs that i'd heard and you know thought okay you know this isn't for me then what happened was uh i used to be uh the host of a uh, very you know small and insignificant radio show in south africa called the inferno um and uh, i started uh, emailing record labels and you know looking to see you know whether they would support the podcast in any way uh one uh, one label that you know did kind of step up and started sending me stuff on a pretty regular basis was Century Media, and they sent me Dead Heart in a Dead World before it came out in two thousand. And initially, I kind of got it and I thought, yeah, this is you know Nevermore. This is, that's a power metal band. I'm, you know, I can't be can't be bothered to listen to this. I put the record on, and the first song on Dead Heart in a Dead World to me just absolutely blew my mind. Uh, it's a song called Narcosynthesis what you At said earlier time. about their ability to write songs that have real hooks and that are truly memorable i mean that is like if you if you take the heaviness that they, you know, that that nevermore had, you know, those extreme metal influences. You know, Jeff Loomis just being phenomenal on the guitars, everyone else backing them up, you know, uh, in, instrumentally, just being at the top of their game, and then you include Worrell's vocals, which can be maniacal, they can be beautiful, they can they can do so many different things. Narcosynthesis was just the perfect gateway into that band, and from from that point i was hooked so i immediately you know dug up um the the first album nevermore the politics of ecstasy um and then i moved to the uk and obviously things started becoming a little bit more easily accessible so i bought um uh dreaming neon black which again another record that i became completely hooked on and i'd also started to write for uh, the webzine chronicles of chaos so i got sent the promo for the enemies of reality and you know that album blew me away and i've just i've just been a very very firm fan of the band e- ever since the moment that i heard dead heart and a dead world for the first time and ironically nowadays i didn't i mean and i know we'll do a deep dive on each album in a little bit but uh, that's actually probably my least favorite album by the band. Um, Like I would give almost everything that they did 10 out of 10 with the exception of Dead Heart and a Dead World for, for reasons I'll explain as well. But uh, yeah, it's just, they, they are just a band that combines so many different things and whether it's in their lyrics or whether it's in their music uh, you know, they're, they're, they're they're unique in how complex they are. Um, It's, it's, it's thinking man's metal in a way that, you know, you don't want to sound pretentious by saying it, but I, I genuinely think that
0: they—they
1: they were certainly at the time that they—that they came out, they were a cut above everybody else. Yeah, yeah. In, I mean, in that regard, I should say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd say that. Um, Dead, Heart, yeah, Dead Heart and Dead World is actually ironically. So I ordered like a bunch, like a bunch of their CDs all at the same time when I found out about Never War, and that was the first one that showed up. So that was the first one that I actually listened to as well not by choice necessarily just because that's the first one that showed up because it's not my favorite album by any, you know, pers- even though it's the first one that I heard all the way through, like when we'll get into that, like ones that I like the best, but, um, but that song, Narcosynthesis, like that's a really killer song. Like that's incredible. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> I think that um, the thing was, the Nevermore were kind of, uh, um, they're one of those bands that, that certain that i feel like some people that are it's like people who love them love them right you know what i mean like it's like they're like fucking you know fanatically in love with them right but then people who but then i think that their music unfortunately is kind of like was kind of out of step with a lot of stuff going on so you had that little like revival like you said with Panteran and stuff in the mid 90s but that was followed up by the new metal thing which Um, you know, and then at the same time on another side, you also had the rise of like in flames and all that kind of like melodic, uh, death metal garbage. Right. so it was like, there was kind of like the, they were kind of like, they weren't in either thing, but I I was looking at like reading about it and they were like touring a lot, either new metal bands or bands like in flames, you know what I mean? Like, so I think they're just the wrong type of bands for them to be touring with, but there wasn't really any other bands I could, I could see them touring with at that time. You know what I mean? Like, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, I mean, there wasn't really anybody else for them to be touring with, unfortunately, but those weren't the right crowds for them. I think, you know,
1: I, I I think that's a great point. I, I do genuinely agree with you. I think they, they were out of step for their time because I think had they, had they started maybe 10 years, 10 years later, and it was at the time where, you know, Metallica were doing Death Magnetic and, you know, bands like Mastodon were becoming more popular. And there was kind of a bit more of a return to metal's, I wouldn't say purest roots. But at the very least, like people were, you know, more accepting of different types of bands, as I think that they are now in comparison to the time that, you know, Nevermore was starting at. Um, you know, and bands like Metallica were kind of going back more towards you know making actual metal, even though I think that they' met, the metal they currently produce is trash. <laughs> but you know they were the sort of band that I think had they started later and then gotten an opportunity to play on like a Metallica, tour or something like that i think they would have gone over incredibly well with you know with a much bigger audience mm-hmm. because exactly as you say you you had new metal and i mean the first Corn album came out in october in 1994 so you know new metal was was starting um you know even when stuff like um uh you know burn my eyes and Fire driven was popular mm-hmm. and then you know when new metal you know kind of breathed its last which was depending on where you stand on the on the on the topic you know, either mercifully or, or, or not. I personally think it was replaced with something even more trite and more fucking boring, which was all the metal core bands that came out in you. That was kind of yeah. spearheaded by Killswitch engage. And, you know, to, to your point, it was like, everyone was trying to mix emo with in flames riffs, um, which, That's as horrible. much as I, I'm not the biggest fan of Corn. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'd, I'd sooner, I, I, I would sooner listen to Corn than any of those fucking shit bands. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I actually kind of like some Corn stuff, but I can't stand most of that fucking metalcore stuff. You know what I mean? This it's just so it's boring. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. I,
1: dude, I'd, I'd sooner listen to Limbisket before I listen to <clears> some <throat> of those metalcore bands. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, at, le- at uh, you can, if you, if nothing else, at least you can say that Fred Durst knew how to put on a good show. I saw tons of those metalcore bands play when I, because when I just moved to London, obviously it was very popular. A lot of those bands would be, you know, opening for, you know, bigger bands that I want to go and see. And I don't think there was a single one that I didn't think was completely and utterly terrible. Yeah.
0: I, I really hated the metalcore thing in early two thousands and the kind of modics death metal thing, like wherever bands trying to rip off at the gates and in flames, like, Cause, um I think I had a kind of similar experience as you where I was reviewing for a metal web website and and uh, and stuff at the time and I was like the black metal guy and like the death metal guy so I was getting all of the black metal and death metal promos and um eventually I got to the point where I just refused to review any more of those those types of bands like I told him I was like please stop sending me this stuff like I like I hate this like every every is exactly the same I don't want to hear any more of these like at the gates riffs you know what i mean (laughs) like and that was that was what was popular in the early 90s be it be it metalcore bands who are ripping that off or the melodic death metal bands who are ripping that off you know what i mean
1: well it got got to a point where it was so repetitive i mean you could literally put on you could put on a cd and i I remember getting this with countless promos i put the promo on and within two minutes i could tell you exactly what that entire album was going to sound like start to finish and uh i mean that's that's why i got out of the 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 writing because i would i'd be you know understandably getting chased by um record labels saying when are you going to review this when's the review for this going up and it's like dude i I mean how many more times must i say this band or this kind of music sucks or you know how many how many more times must i say i've already heard slaughter of the soul i've got no fucking interest in hearing it ever again so so you know, let's 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 move on now. Um, so for me, like, like actually, just as a side note, the, the, why I got out of writing um, is ironically, it, it didn't actually have as much to do with metal as it did, as as, uh, as some might think. I got the the first Death Grips uh, mixtape, X Military, and I got so completely obsessed with that with that album that I I think it's about all I listened to for but for two months. Uh And then I started reflecting on the idea that for the last, you know, like five, six years, I had, I'd been so like pushing myself so much with the writing, I I didn't really have a chance to spend as much quality time with some of the records that I'd been getting that I really liked, you know, like Romans 512, um, you know, Admiorum, Satanus, Glorium and stuff like that, as I would have liked. And I just said, that's, that's me done, you know. If yeah. I if I do anything music related again, it's going to only be things that I like doing or I like listening to, and I want to be able to. You know, I, if I find something that I really like, then I really want to be able to sit listening to it and enjoying it, and like almost having an experience like I used to have when I you know, and again, you and I can both relate to this. Like I used to have when I was a kid, you know, you you get that, you know, you get domination or you get Danzig Four, and you know, you you listen to the record to absolutely to death. Um, but that's how you extract the most out of it as well. So. Yeah, but it was uh yeah it was a little little known fact cuz i've not really ever shared it before but it was the <laughs> death grips uh, mixtape ex military that, that got me to stop writing oh well
0: the um when you were writing that's when you met world dane right just kind of circle back yeah. to nevermore so
1: yeah so i met him twice uh i met him when they were doing uh or they were doing the press cycle for the godless endeavor and I also met him when they were doing um, the press cycle for Enemies of Reality. I actually met him and Jeff Loomis for Enemies of Reality wow. and just him for uh, The Scarlet Endeavor. And, and and what an incredible guy. Like one of the, the most gentle, upstanding, most gentlemanly guys, totally honest transparency someone that I would absolutely love to have on into the necrosphere if he was still alive because you know one he loved to talk two he had inc- a bunch of incredible stories and and then three he never really held back with anything um you know when we when we did the the interview for this godless endeavor you know he spent probably about 15 20 minutes going off about how much he hated the uh enemies of reality and <laughs> how much and i was kind of feeling a bit awkward because i i had just praised him and said Fuck, it's such a great record it's like it sucks and it's like you know the only person that can listen to that is someone who thinks saint Anger's production sounds good and <laughs> um yeah, he was he was surprisingly very very self critical as well. But one very interesting thing that I learned from I learned from him when we were talking, I, I know he never gave much away about this um, when uh, when he was being interviewed. But he he told me that in, as far as singing was concerned, he was entirely self taught. Had never ever had a lesson. Uh, it was literally just through getting to know his voice and how his voice worked, and um, you know just practicing every single day relentlessly. And that's how that that singing style of his developed.
0: Right, you can kind of tell from um, from the way he sings that it's very much like you know he's always exploring what his voice can do you know on the music because he's always doing you know all these different things. I mean, somebody I, I saw some breakdown of like the how, how wide his range is, and it's pretty crazy how wide his range is. You know,
1: he is. I mean, you know, to to the to nevermore fans, he's without a doubt one of the best vocalists of all time. Do anyone who's outside of the scene or outside of that that clique of folks who are, are fans of uh, Nevermore, I don't think people really – I don't think they truly appreciate just how talented he was. Like I, I would go as fast as to say his range certainly ap- approached Patton-esque levels of singing. And the other thing that was incredibly impressive to me about him was I, unfortunately I never got to see them live, but I did um, – uh, I, you know, you, there's a, there's tons of videos and stuff online. You know, even if you watch videos that he did later on in his life where somebody had recorded with a cell phone, you know, him singing with Sanctuary or, you know, something like that, even there, the, his voice would sound incredible. And you and you know what it's like when you're recording something with a cell phone, even the slightest, you know, weakness, the slightest, you know, wrong inflection, missed beat, off note, whatever the case may be, that, that, that it really kind of shows it up but you know you can go back and check out some of the sanctuary recordings from like 2014 2015 shows that he played and he sounds fucking incredible not not just note perfect he like adds another layer of emotion to the songs when he sings them live that you didn't even get off the off the albums
0: yeah which is very impressive because i know that towards the end of his life he was very poor health he had diabetes from heavy alcoholism when he, you know you know there he's younger you know what i mean so the fact that even in poorer health <clears throat> he was able to to just like crack it out like perfectly you know what i mean it's just very impressive i mean kind of similar to somebody like uh like i don't know i've seen like i remember watching some stuff with like well and jennings where he died from diabetes as well and i mean he he could crack it out like people who are really, just really really good singers it doesn't matter you know what i mean
1: yeah, the thing is there's there's a real sadness to a lot of what he was singing about as well. So, you know, he, he the way that he was able to convey emotion and his voice really helped amplify that as well. You know, again, you go back to the last Sanctuary record, um, you know, there's a song on there called I Am Low. And, I mean, he's, he's basically talking about killing himself. But, I mean, we've we've heard, both of us, plenty of songs about suicide, but this is genuinely stirring. Like, you know, you can listen to it now and you can kind of get a sense of just how low he, you know, at a how low of a point he was in his personal life and sometimes i I've, I've wondered like is is it is it just got to do with the fact that they came from seattle um you know obviously we know the history of like you know uh, chris cornell Kurt cobain you know people like that who came from seattle and, and you know wrestled with similar demons you know had depression you know ended up killing themselves uh, i don't know whether there's any sort of connection there but uh, yeah he, he he certainly had a way of conveying how he was feeling in, you know, when he was singing, whether it was sad, whether it was angry, you know, in in a way that was absolutely unique Um, and just, you know, added that extra layer to the experience whenever you listen to, uh, to Nevermore.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, that's actually part of why Sanctuary broke up was because the label wanted them to go more grunge and they didn't want to, but, but you got to think that Sanctuary uh, was one of the kind of, Pioneering heavy metal bands from Seattle, you know, they were like one of the point bands. And at that point, those the metal heavy metal scene there was, you know, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, you know, Mother Love Bone, Queensryche. You know, what I mean, that was like the because Alice in Chains and Soundgarden came out of that metal scene. They didn't come out of some type of grunge scene, you know. So it's like yeah. that was more like you know, n- Nirvana and Mudhoney and stuff like that was like the so-called grunge thing. So.
1: Like... Well, uh, th- that last Sanctuary record, you know, I kind of sometimes feel is a bit of a lost Nevermore album because it, it has more in common with with Never with how Nevermore sounded than the, the, the first two Sanctuary records. And there are some absolutely extraordinary songs on there. Uh, yeah. Rise and Purify, the first song, incredible. Uh, I Am Low, you know, absolutely incredible. Uh, the Dying Age, um, phenomenal song. So that to me is just a record filled with complete bangers. But yeah, to to your point, I mean they they came from a different place to you know what a lot of the other grunge bands came from. But I mean, a lot of the other grunge bands came from punk and you know kind of being into bands like the Melvins, so like that uh, the the noise scene and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, but like yeah, Allison Chains and Soundgarden, those bands were kind of more connected, and you can hear like to me Allison Chains always kind of sounded more like what you know more metal. You know what I mean? And so you can actually see maybe a a similar underlying DNA with uh, particularly early Nevermore to like maybe bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, that kind of stuff. Like they're more in line with each other. But I feel like, um, you know, the thing the thing with Nevermore is that you got um, a fucking guitar God on guitar of Jeff Loomis. He's like one of those fucking just insane like guitar players who's up there with you know marty friedman and you know like all those kinds of guys you know what i mean <laughs> so well, like, yeah, he's, nevermore. He's, he is
1: best best of the best i mean genuinely he, 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 you he, you know for anybody who's a guitarist if you ever looked at a nevermore transcription uh you know like a a, a tab for a song uh like I'm not a particularly great guitarist. I wouldn't even attempt to try and play most of that because I wouldn't it's either. Just, it's, <laughs> it's nuts. Like you see him, even if, even when you see him on stage playing the way his hands move and um he he's phenomenal because he can do everything and he does it so effortlessly. Um you know whether it's rhythm whether it's playing leads um yeah the the dude is just like he is approaching dime bag levels of of brilliance when it comes to g- guitar playing, and that's not just by virtue of the fact that he's technically very gifted. I think it's also by virtue of the fact that he's sort of in that rare breed of guitarists where, when when it's them playing, you can hear it's them playing. Like I've always said, like like you know, there's certain musicians where they go beyond that point of just being incredible from a technical perspective, and they get into the place where they're like Matt Pike. Or they're like dime bag, or you know, I, I I use him as an example too. Matt Wilcock from, from Werewolves, like they ha- just have that certain style, a certain way of playing where you can hear them for you know five seconds and you'll know straight away that's you know, that's a dime bag riff or that's a Matt Pike riff. I think that I think the same can be said of Jeff Loomis.
0: Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and what elevates Jeff Loomis to me above some of these other. Cause i'm not really into like guitar shredder people i can't stand joe satriani and all that kind of bullshit but it's like the um the thing about jeff loomis is that he writes good songs you know like i said earlier that's what and that's what makes him more in a line with something like a dime bag where he knows how to write catchy riffs that you remember you know and in guitar parts and then he can also shred on the guitar like crazy you know
1: um well he, he also he also knew i think the he he had a great sense of dynamics so he knew exactly when to deploy the shredding uh he also knew when you know to keep it simple he knew when to slow things down he knew when you know real technical flair was going to be required for a song but equally he knew when it was time to just you know get get to chugging you know but yeah the thing about it is even when he did did the simple stuff he would find a way to, in a very subtle fashion, you know, make it very complex. Yeah. Um. But you know, again, I think that's that is just a um. It's a testament to to how phenomenally gifted he is as a guitarist. I think the other person in the band who also deserves a shout out, um, for me. I mean, I actually both Jeff Shepard on bass and Van Williams on drums. Van Williams is is. Like that connection between Jim and and Van, like you know that that really kind of thick, thick rhythmic undercurrent in the band, is incredible. You use Narcosynthesis as an example, right? The 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 way that the that rhythm goes in lockstep with a um, you know with the guitar riffs and and then with Warrell's voice coming over it, it's just a masterclass oh, yeah. in, in how metal should be played
0: yeah i mean uh the drumming and the bass playing on on nevermore stuff is no slouch either yeah like i mean if you didn't have a crazy amazing drummer a fan of fan williams you wouldn't the band wouldn't be as good you know because he's able to he's able to go right along with jeff loomis with like these crazy riffs and everything like that and and really like uh help propel and elevate the performances throughout you know like
1: yeah like, i've never I know he's moved on to a different band called Ghost Ship Octavius. Um, I've never, I've never listened to them. I don't know what they sound like. They, they did bring out a record in twenty eighteen called Delirium. But uh, interestingly, uh, I don't believe they're actually signed. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm thing... surprised that on, on on the strength of his name, he was they weren't picked up. Yeah, I'm surprised too.
0: I mean, one thing that I'm going, I'm a little bit don't understand is why jeff loomis has been playing with arch enemy for almost 10 years now
1: <laughs> uh, i i understand it it's called money <laughs> it's called making enough making enough money to uh not have to do a day job yeah i guess yeah this is like
0: all right i'm just gonna do this shitty band <laughs> where i'm like way above the uh the ability the uh the level of the i mean granted i haven't listened to an arch enemy album in probably 20 years so i don't know
1: I, 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 no, dude. I, yeah. I, you don't. You don't need to bother listening to it to know it sucks. Um, there's there's one or two Arch Enemy songs that I think is okay, but but for the most part, I remember seeing them live. I can't remember when it was. Like this would have been about 2008, 2009. Um, it was when um, their previous vocalist Angela, when she was still in the band, and I remember what really put me off seeing her play. Like she she actually didn't have a bad voice. But she would have this very bizarre smile on stage all the time, like she's at a kids, you know, puppet show. Or something like <laughs> just, I, I, I was just like, I, you know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be hateful here, mm-hmm. but I need to feel, I need to feel the steel from the, from the stage, right? Yeah. If, you know, if Full Anselmo back in the day was stalking the stage, you know, with a big grin and he's cracking jokes and dancing and stuff like that, I'm very sorry, but I don't think Bantera would have been as big as they were. If no. uh, uh, you know, if um, Mortus of Marduk you know, <laughs> turns around and, and and cracks a joke with uh, with Morgan in between songs, you know Marduk's not going to be the same. So yeah, that that's something where maybe I'm a bit too much of a purist for some, but it's just it's just what does it for me and what doesn't, and what doesn't to do it for me is I do not like people on stage joking, laughing around. The only guy that could get away with that legitimately was Tom Araya. Everybody right. else that does it sucks. The
0: uh, yeah, I mean. I've only, like, tempted to try, l- check out new Arch Enemy just because Jeff Loomis is on it, just to see, like, did he make it any better or not, you know? But I'm like, I haven't done that yet. I probably won't because, uh, yeah, I hated old Arch Enemy stuff, so I don't see how Jeff Loomis can make it any better.
1: <laughs> no, you can only dress up a steaming turd so much. My my view is, is exactly what I said on the, the news rant this past week on uh, Into the Necrosphere. I've got a very limited amount of time to listen to music. So am I going to listen to some B tier band or am I going to devote my time listening to, you know, or trying to make time to listen to the list of extraordinary bands that are putting out music right now, plus all of the stuff that, you know, I I should and, you know, would want to get into again, or at least revisit again, you know, if I had the time. And it's been incredible being able to go back and, and go through this uh, this Nevermore discography because I messaged you offline about it the other day. Um, you know, like the politics of ecstasy to me. Jesus Christ, it's a good album. And like, this is at least 10, 12 years since I've properly listened to it. And then you go back and you listen to it and you're like, the, the album is nearly 20 or nearly 30 years old. And to this day, it it still sounds to me like absolute 10 out of 10 masterpiece.
0: Yeah, I mean- Maybe that's a good segue into getting through the uh, working way through the albums, you know.
1: Yeah. All right. Right. Let's do it. So, the
0: um, we can start with the first album, Nevermore, which. uh, Um. So, like, I got into Nevermore. I said I threw Whirl on the Behemoth, and then the first albums I bought was um, Dead Heart, um, Dreaming Neon Black, uh, Enemies of Reality, and Descados Endeavor. I think the first two I heard was Dead Heart and Discos Endeavor, and then, and then after those albums, I went back and got the first two. So these were kind of like a little bit after hearing those later ones. So my kind of my kind of um, relationship with these first two albums is that I never really liked them as much as the rest of their discography, you know. But they're good albums. Like Nevermore, even this this first album, is a good album, but it definitely feels like a band who hasn't quite found their identity yet, in my opinion, you know. Like the first, the first, uh, first album, but it's also got some really cool songs on it, like you know, "What Tomorrow Knows" and "Sanity Assassin," are two of them that I like. Which yeah. I think is funny, "The Sanity Assassin's not a cover of Bauhaus, even though it has the
1: same name. But <laughs> yeah, I actually had to go and double check that again because I know we were, we were, we were, we were saying and. Again, we'll get to this in a second, most likely, but you know, what are our two favorite tracks of each record? And The Sanity Assassin is definitely one of mine. Now, I do have so let's, let's 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 let me give this overview of my my critical take on Nevermore. They are they have Paradise Lost energy in the sense that even at their weakest, they are an eight, maybe even eight and a half out of ten band. Like yeah. that's the caliber that you're dealing with when you're looking at all their records, in my opinion. Yeah. They are always, you know, at, at at a at a level that, you know, not a lot of bands can actually attain. Um, that being said, if I had one one gripe, they are more more missed than they are hit when it comes to cover songs. Yeah. I think the <laughs> the cover songs that they have done of bands like The Doors and Simon and Garfunkel. Is terrible. I mean, it's it's it it is it is legitimately terrible. So it's a blight on an otherwise great discography, and so actually, when I was listening to um, the the debut record, Nevermore, I had selected my two favorites. The Sanity Assassin is my number one favorite song of this album, and I and I I was looking at it thinking, Jesus, there's a Bauhaus song called The Sanity Assassin, and I I couldn't remember exactly what it sounded like, and as it turns out. Two, two completely different tracks. Yeah. I know that um, that Warrell was a very big fan of of goth music. You know, obviously he covered uh, also did a terrible version of that, but covered Lucretia, my my reflection on his first solo album. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, he had a he had a love for that style of music, which is potentially why I w- I wondered whether it might be Bauhaus. But yeah, what well, like it they, it was not.
0: They did do a, a Bauhaus medley on in memoriam, so the EP that came out after this. So.
1: Oh wow, I actually I that that's something that I haven't properly listened to yet.
0: Yeah, they did on In Memory they did a uh, they did a, a Bauhaus medley and so it has like double dare and, and some other songs mixed together. I think together. Silent
1: Hedges is the other one that it's got on. I'm just looking on Metal Archives now. Yeah. I'm going to and... I'm going to have to go check that out. That that was an I I've actually for whatever reason just completely skipped over that EP. I, I've never
0: listened to it. It's pretty good. Um, you know, it's 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 got, like, a couple really good songs, and then that the Bauhaus thing is probably the best cover they did. I mean, I would say that, uh, yeah, I would agree with you that generally their covers are pretty horrible. Like, I feel like out of the horrible covers they've done, the Lucretia My Reflection one is probably, like, I can actually kind of listen to that one compared to some of the other ones. You know, like his cover of Hanging Garden on his second solo album is even worse. You know, so it's like. Yeah, yeah, you're
1: right. You're yeah. right. But, but you know what the crazy thing about the, about it is? Every single time that I would read about, you know, a Warhol Dane album coming out or an Evermore album coming out and, and they would talk about a, a cover song, you'd look at it on paper and you'd go, man, they're going to nail that. That's a perfect fit. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like with Warhol singing Lucretia My Reflection and then it's like. <laughs> No. What have you done to the song? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it's, and, I, it's, and I think maybe that's also the challenge, right? If you if you choose to cover songs that are so iconic. You have one of two options. I mean really you can stick 100% true to the source material or you can completely reinterpret them like uh, revolting Cox did with um, let's get physical or do you think I'm sexy or or typo negative did with Black Sabbath. Yeah. And if you completely reinterpret them and you you remold them in your style, then you know some t- depending on how capable you are of uh, you know I guess expressing expressing what that artist was trying to get across in in your own voice, it can actually be really cool. I mean those those ones I just mentioned now are some of my favorite covers ever. But I just feel like maybe with their covers they never they just didn't go either one way or the other. They they never went full bore into okay, we're going to just completely redo this and they never completely they didn't stay true enough to the source material for you to be able to just appreciate it with them kind of covering, you know, literally covering the song um, you know, I guess almost karaoke style.
0: Yeah yeah no, does that does
1: that make sense what I just said now
0: no it makes sense yeah another degree there's some bands that just aren't good at covers like I'm horrible at doing covers for the most part you know I can cover a misfit song that's about the extent my covering covering ability maybe there's a few you know a few things I could cover but like uh so I just don't bother covering most things because I just can't play other people's stuff really you know what I mean so it's like some bands are just really not pretty good at covers I mean I've always heard that you 2 they're like they always talk about how how much a hard time they have covering stuff you know it's like some bands just can't cover stuff, you know, and I feel like Nevermore is one of those bands, you know, it's like,
1: well, I think you, you, you're also, it's a tall order to do a cover of Lucretia, my reflection. I mean, yeah. it really is. It, it's like, it's such an iconic song. Uh It's I, I, I don't think I've actually heard somebody cover it and not completely fuck it up. It's yeah. like, um I've only ever heard one great cover of "Bella Lugosi's dead. And ironically, It was kind of still Bauhaus because Peter was still present. It just so happened that Trent Reznor is on stage as well, and he was doing it. You know, he he and Peter were doing it together. But it it you know it may as well still be a Bauhaus song (laughs) just performed live later on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, like you said, like I feel like of Nevermore, much like Paradise Lost, all their stuff is at least eight out of ten, if not higher. The way I, I actually I have to. If I like at the end, I'm gonna I'll, I figure I'll rank my Nevermore. We can rank our or the albums as a whole, you know. Do our ranking, and um <clears throat> the way that I kind of thought about the ranking of the albums was, um, which albums do I skip tracks and which ones do I do I not? So I have to, I had to kind of do it to that point where I'm like, is this is how this album has like one song or two songs I don't like, so it's a little bit lower than this album, which I don't skip any of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm. That's kind of how I had to ultimately, uh, because because they're all great, you know. But so uh, if
1: I had to choose my two favorite songs, I, I've already said the sanity, uh, the, sorry, yeah, the sanity assassin, and the hurting words would be my other one.
0: Yeah. Ironically,
1: two of the slowest songs on the record, but I think part of the reason why I love those slow songs so much is because I I love Warrell's voice so much, and on on you know they if they. If there were a band who couldn't record or couldn't do a cover, one thing they could do exceptionally well was a ballad. Yeah. Um, because yeah. their ballads were always incredibly haunting, incredibly dark. Like, even if they weren't necessarily musically heavy, they would always be emotionally, you know, weighted. And then – um you know, it was a, it was an opportunity for world's voice to really shine because you don't have all of the weight of the electric guitar and, you know, the full bore of the drums and the double bass and whatnot, you know, bearing over him. Um, so yeah, those, those two are absolutely my two favorites. Yeah. On, uh, on on Nevermore.
0: One of my, one thing you'll notice of, with my list of my songs I picked is I generally picked one heavy song and one of the choir songs in each one of the albums pretty much. So the, um, so now we get into politics of ecstasy um which uh i guess i found out is a lot of people's favorites it's definitely not mine but i do think it's a great album but it's got the ones i picked was the seven the the other thing that they do really well is kick off the album with a kick-ass song so i picked yeah. the first song a lot of times so the first song i picked was the seven tongues of god and also next in line those are my two favorites my only real complaint with politics of ecstasy is i feel like last bit of the album kind of drops off a little bit for me like i start to get kind of bored towards the end that's the only reason why it's not one of my favorite albums like because i think the first half of it is so good that when you get to the kind of the ending bit i kind of like start to drop off on it so that's yeah i i
1: i definitely i definitely would agree with you on that i think um so in terms of my favorite songs uh this sacrament track two i think is incredible Next in line, I think, is absolutely incredible. I think that the the first five songs on the record are peerless. Uh, You know, they're 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 phenomenal. You know, as you say, the Seven Tongues of God kicks off the album in a on a really strong note. Then the sacrament is, it's a perfect second song. It's like that song that just starts with a groove, this really ballsy riff. Yeah. Uh, You know, next in line is is really epic. Passenger is a little darker, a little slower. And then I I agree with you as the record kind of goes into its second act, it, it it does it does seem to drop off a little bit, um, you know, and maybe it's because they were, uh, they were taking some of that uh, Timothy Leary <laughs> LSD towards the recording of the second, because uh, the, 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 re- the title, the politics of ecstasy, my understanding is it it it's taken from a quote by Timothy Leary. Yeah. It's um, from,
0: from, it's the name of one of his books. And so, and the, oh, okay, gotcha. The title, the first song and the album's, uh, seven tongues of god is like a uh i think a chapter out of that book or something i don't i don't know too much about Timothy leary but yeah so it's, it's called it's so this album is also probably more political in a lot of ways like uh you know which is definitely something nevermore talks about is political but in a way that uh generally i like there's some songs that get a little heavy-handed you know i think when i think world is better when he's talking about um stuff in a bit more personal way even when he's doing something that's political but every once in a while he can get a little little heavy-handed with with his stuff and that that happens on on a few songs in here you know
1: yeah um by the way an interesting side note for anybody that uh, that didn't know uh this was um also a record that featured pat o'brien yeah who would later on go to cannibal corpse and uh Shortly, uh, well, not shortly thereafter, but several years thereafter, um, have one of the most public nervous breakdowns, uh, you know, episodes, whatever you want to call it, in uh, the history of extreme music. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, you know, the one thing that I would say, and again, I mean this with all due respect, uh, Worrell never struck me as somebody who was necessarily in uh, politically clued up. So I, I think it's far better to sing about something that, that is more authentic to you as a person, um, you know, uh, and, and if you are going to sing about politics, I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting a Thomas Sowell book, <laughs> you know, repeated to me in verse, but, uh, you know, I, I certainly am not, I'm not keen to to hear your thoughts on, uh, you know, the, the glory of socialism or anything like that, so yeah i mean he never luckily he never quite got this that way no, A lot of no, his, no. Well, he, he's no he's no tom morello
0: no most of his most of the political elements to it are dealing with like um um like uh kind of i guess more like social level i guess you know what i mean like when and um i guess government like control i feel like World Dane was definitely no socialist, that's for sure. He was, he was probably, no. if anything, more a libertarian or something. So that shows through in, in a lot of lyrics. It just, every once in a while, you're like, okay, it's a, it's a little heavy-handed here and there. But, um, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think, when I spoke to him, did he ever really talk about politics? He, he never really brought it up. Um, and I've never really, as I've said to you before, I don't really take the conversation in any direction that it doesn't want to go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't think he was particularly politically motivated, but I feel like it was like maybe more social than politics. You know, he talks a lot about government control and all that kind of stuff, shows up in a lot of the the Nevermore stuff and social decay and stuff like that, which is a big part of their. But those types of topics I'm okay with. It's just, there's that one song on uh, Dead, which we'll get to on um, Dead Heart, where it's all about like, Incarceration of people because of drug possession, and that song's like just a little too like on the nose for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I would agree. Yeah, the, um... I would agree. And also, I mean, the context of it is, and it's a nice segue into the next album. Exactly to your point, when he's singing about something that's more personal to him, he's a million times more effective. Yeah, because he's like... he's so great at conveying the personal.
0: This album, the next album, "Dreaming Neon Black," is one it probably it's a, it's a tough ch- choose for me which one's my favorite this is one of my favorites it might be my favorite like i feel like this album I mean one thing that that i found out today about this album okay so which i knew part of this so part of the inspiration for this album was his girlfriend like disappeared she joined some type of religious group and he had like nightmares about her crying out to him but here's what's interesting is in actuality walsh and her husband uh were murdered by serial killer Robert Ben Rhodes in January, 1990. And he, but he didn't know about that. So he was having these nightmares about her after she had died and he didn't know that she had died until much later. And I looked up the serial killer guy. This guy was called the, um, he was called a truck truck stop killer and he was murdering people for 15 years from 1975 to 1990. They're not really sure how many people he killed. They they only found the corpses of four, but he admitted to killing like many, many more people. He just picked people up like h- hitchhikers and stuff. or were like, you know, abduct women at truck stops and stuff. And then he had like a torture chamber in his, in his, uh in his, um, semi-truck where he kept women like chain, like tort, and he like, you know, raped them and stuff until he dropped them off. So this is what happened to Dwarl's girlfriend. New and so this album like that's a pretty heavy type of thing uh surrounding this album and not only just like at the time he knew that she had disappeared because of this religious cult right and that he having these nightmares and so this is like really in this album a lot you know he's like drawing upon these things and on top of that i feel like the band sounds like when it goes into beyond within it's just so fucking intense and it's, you can feel like this is a band that's like kind of taking that next step in my opinion, you know what I mean? Like we're of intensity and songwriting and everything and world's vocals sound even better on this than he's already sounded. I feel like, you know?
1: Yeah, I I think so. So I, I absolutely agree with you in terms of a step up in production values in the complexity of the songwriting um, in performances, especially world's voice. I think, I think dreaming neon black is a huge, huge stride forward. Like, Again, sadly, this is this is an album that had it come out in two thousand and nine rather than nineteen ninety nine, uh, it, it it had the potential to be enormous. Um, yeah, but nineteen ninety nine was probably the worst time that the record could have come out because I think you know the the level of interest from the public in this style of music at that point was you know next to nothing, and then again you know you, you add to that that it's a um, it, it's such a it's such an emotionally heavy record because yeah like you said you know it, it it's effectively him dealing with um you know the loss of a the unexplained loss of a of a romantic love interest and then, you know, this, this you know, the, the, the concept of the record is about somebody progressively going insane as a result of this loss. You know, you, you could probably reflect that in to a number of different aspects of his life, including things like, you know, his, his alcohol abuse, etc. Um, and I think what's also very interesting is the, the song Forever, um, you know, is listed on the, uh, you know, on the track listing as being nine minutes, 20 seconds long. But there's actually about six minutes and 35 seconds of it is just silence. Yeah. Um. You know, which is uh. Yeah. No one is going to sit listening to the whole thing, going, "Wow, that was poignant." But it's uh, <laughs> as as a, as a piece of art, presenting it as a, you know, as a as a unified end to end listen and a piece of art. I actually think it's quite a, it 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 makes quite a powerful statement, especially yeah. if you if you go through the whole record, the you know the way it's constructed, the way it flows. It it's it's an album that's probably got the best ebb and flow and and, and sequencing of any Nevermore record, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's why it's in my it's probably my top album, although an album we'll get to a bit later might be it's it's their neck and neck, you know. We'll do the we'll, this, do the we'll do the power
1: rankings, but it's it, yeah, it's I it's, mean it's spoiler alert, it's pretty pretty heavily uh, or pretty high up on my list as well.
0: Yeah. Like the I guess like the the thing with this album is that it's such a dark, heavy feeling to it and haunting feeling to it. Particularly when you know like the hist, you know, the truth of that's based on something that he experienced and all this stuff and like you know i just always really really connected to this album like really you know it's one of those albums that really hit, hits me and like i yeah, connect with um mm. and the songs i picked i picked beyond within and dreaming neon black um literally like the first five you know what well, is the first song is instrumental but beyond within the death of passion i am the dog and dreaming neon black is such a powerful opening salvo of songs you know it was hard for me to pick which ones but those are the two that I picked yeah, and that's not saying the second half is bad the second half of the album is, is amazing too you know but I decided to go with those two songs you know
1: I would go with Dreaming Neon Black Dreaming um, Neon Black also has happens to have some of their best ever lyrics in my view uh, especially the meet me in the dream time watered around shifting shaping currents flow in memory Uh, meet me in the drowning pool of tears and wash away my innocence i mean yeah it's so good just just the rhythm in that the way that he he delivers it is 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 incredible it's it's got that really heavy like goth feel to it when he's doing it too yeah and And then uh, my other favorite is uh, cenotaph yeah Uh, cenotaph is kind of right towards the end but good lord god almighty what a fucking song i mean very different to everything on the rest of the album but again in listen to in sequence it kind of makes perfect sense yeah. um and just a beautiful use of uh, of melody especially for that uh, for that chorus you know and again the chorus is like you know he's just you know not shouting but singing awake and then he's kind of like whispering underneath it incredible yeah 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 that
0: dreaming in black the thing that's crazy about that that chorus is it's also you can sing along with it in a lot of ways too because it's just so melody so strong you know the way he's singing it and yeah like that and whole albums like that there's all these like real catchy parts mixed in with like these real you know these things and um yeah i just really feel like this album is like cut above you know Mm. yeah no i agree um so then we get into dead heart and dead world um which came out in october 2000 it's the first album where jeff loomis plays with a seven string which and um the uh like I said earlier, it was probably it was the first album I heard, but just because that was the first album that showed up in the mail. Um and uh it definitely got me into Nevermore. I liked the album, but I think as you said, over time it's become one of my least favorites. And not not quite on the bottom, but like like you know, I off this album I picked narcosynthesis just because I mean, yeah, you can't beat that song. I mean it's so fucking amazing. And then...
1: It's, it's, it's one of their best songs. It's interesting because it's one of their best songs on one of their weakest records.
0: Yeah, and then I also picked Believe in Nothing. I really think that the songs Insignificant, Believe in Nothing are really great. I also like River Dragons Come, but also, this album also has stuff like Inside Four Walls, which is like pretty annoying to listen to. And then there's other songs on it that I don't particularly like at all. And it has the weird cover of Sound of Silence as well, <laughs> which, doesn't, which doesn't sound anything like the original song at all.
1: Yeah. A, a terrible cover of a song that sh- really shouldn't be covered. You know, I mean, I know everyone was fucking soiling themselves over the disturbed cover, which I also thought was terrible. Uh It's not a song that that needs to be covered. It's like when people try and cover the times they are changing. There's just certain songs that just leave them alone. Shouldn't be covered. Like, have you heard, you know, I know we were going to talk about, just slightly off topic, we, we know we were going to talk about Fugazi at some point. Have you heard some of the fucking atrocious covers of The Waiting Room that you can see on YouTube? There's <laughs> this, like, skate punk band with a woman fronting them doing a cover. Uh, honestly, I think I might have sent it to you that if I ever take over, if I if I take over the planet one day, the, that that band is the first to be fucking thrown in. <laughs> no, two ways about it. <laughs> but yeah okay favorite songs for me on um on dead heart and a dead world i i feel just as a commentary about this record by the way i think this album came out too soon after dreaming neon black it, it was only a year i think in some ways they brought it out as almost a way for them to sort of um exhale after the stress of recording uh dreaming neon black um but it was rushed it feels the whole record feels rushed to me with the exception of one of the best songs In Metal, period, ever, and that's Narcosynthesis. And then there are some others that I really like, too. I love uh, The River Dragon Has Come. I really like The Heart Collector. Um, I really like Believe in Nothing. I really like Insignificant. I'm torn on which of those to choose, but I'm probably going to go for... Probably going to go for Insignificant.
0: Yeah, that was... I was uh, that's one i originally picked and then i then i, then I went with Believe in nothing so both of those two songs are two of the best other songs on the album outside narcosynthesis yeah i know a lot of people yeah like river dragon has come as a good one um and heart collector but yeah the rest of the album is, is kind of weak you know and uh yeah I, from what I understand jeff loomis had written a lot of this before he even joined nevermore like some of the some of this stuff was like kind of he had cooking already you know so it does feel like maybe they're like go from this heavy dreaming down black like very intense like intricate album and then they're coming right out of the gate again with this album with some stuff that he had kind of lying around you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah as i said it it, it for sure felt rushed to me
0: yeah i know there's a lot of people like that. there's some people like that's one of their favorite albums by them but um not for me yeah i mean no, it's not, not it's not a horrible album by any means but it's definitely not it, like you said it's got like narcosynthesis and these songs that are just fucking incredible mm-hmm. but now we're getting into emmy's reality at in 2003 which is my other favorite album next to dreaming Beyond black so and um this album um uh particularly the andy sneep remix but actually i have both i have both the original version and the and the remix and I don't think that the album sounded that bad originally, particularly, you know. It's been a while since I've listened to the original, but it definitely didn't. I mean, when I re-listened to it recently, I listened to Annie Sneep one, because that's the only one that's on Spotify and stuff, you know. Um, And so, I guess I'll go off with that album. But, I mean, this album is fucking intense, you know. Like, the song, Enemy of Reality, like, it's just so fucking... The whole album is just like a battering from beginning to end you know and like the songs i picked was um enemies of reality and tomorrow turned into yesterday but also really have like i voyager and a bunch of other songs on this album like just for pound for pound i feel like it's one of the strongest ones and like on songwriting you know and they they um they recorded the album playing the songs live and then World do his vocals like right away after they played the song. So it's done in a slightly different way than they usually did. And I think that adds the kind of intensity to the performances because it, because it's recorded with them playing together, you know? And, um, like I said, I felt like the original production wasn't that bad. Definitely the Andy Sneap remix is is superior because it's got a bit heavier guitars, but you know, I just I love this album like from the opening opening of enemies reality to the end like it fucking just blows me away you know what I mean
1: I'm with you um I gave this uh I gave this record 10 out of 10 on Chronicles of Chaos I'm just looking at the uh at the review that I wrote now and this was written in 2003 so uh I'll, I'll read it if you. You can you can edit it out if it gets too boring. It's not too long a review. No, go ahead. So I I wrote two and a half years separate uh, enemies of reality and its predecessor, the excellent if somewhat flawed Dead Heart in a Dead World. In that time, a lot has changed in the world of heavy music. Bands like Core no longer unload units in the ludicrous numbers they once did. Older bands like Metallica and Anthrax are once again making headlines, and the metal world in general, it seems, is craving something different. And if enemies of reality is anything to go by, then they need search no further than Seattle's Nevermore. Retaining the traditional values of heavy metal while staying unpredictable and sounding fresh would be no easy feat for any act to accomplish, but it is one that Nevermore achieves with an almost intimidating level of ease. Opening with a statement of intent in the form of the record's title track, uh, you're immediately struck by the album's raw and less polished sound, provided courtesy of Queensreich or uh, Dockin producer Kelly Gray, not only does this uh, bolster the band's brutality, at times uh, taking them to near death metal heights in terms of heaviness, but more essentially, it serves to highlight and underline vocalist Warald Dane's melodic swells with greater clarity than ever before. In further contrast to previous efforts, Enemies of Reality presents a far more measured, well-rounded, well-structured album, every track molded and shaped to perfection, stripped of any excess filler. And that's a fair point because yeah. all of their other albums are 50 minutes plus. This one is very economical, it's 40 minutes, would fit on the side on side A of a C90 cassette. Um, It says, Nevermore's succinct approach is made more effective by their incredible knack for balancing melody and heaviness, a prowess they demonstrate with particularly breathtaking skill on ambivalent and never purify. Simply stated, the more I listen to this record, the more deserving of praise it becomes. Essential in every sense of the word, it's one of the select few efforts to literally contain absolutely no discernible flaws, and possibly the most exciting prospect it creates lies in how Nevermore will go about creating a sequel. Yeah.
0: This album is. Incredible. So I enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Is, is <laughs> a it's the short way of saying it.
0: Yeah, this is this album. From the moment I first put it on, blew me away because you know it's just so fucking it's so fucking good, you know. And it does have it, it's it's
1: it's incredible.
0: It does have some of that. Ex- like, this is where we start getting more of that kind of extreme elements, which also show up in the next album, and it works so good. Like the way that they kind of meld the things together, you know.
1: So favorite songs. You've said yours. Oh, have you? You you have said yours, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I picked "Enemies of Reality" and "Tomorrow Turned into Yesterday."
1: So we got one crossover again. "Tomorrow Turned into Yesterday" is definitely there, and then "Never Purify" is my other one. Uh, I think "Never Purify" is fucking insane. But I mean, any song of this record could have made that list.
0: Yeah, like I mean, I love a song like "I Voyager" too. Like I love the lyrics on it, where it's just like kind of feels like you're kind of like an alien exploring life in a way you know what i mean like I, I, I could relate to that sometimes you know so it's like this album is just so powerful and the whole album is great i mean and like you said like the in the review like the original production was still great it had this kind of raw feeling to it you know i don't i i feel like it's kind of weird that people were so like caught up on the production when the album came out you know what i mean like to the point that i i think i saw an interview with at the time with um with uh world and he said it's kind of weird that more more people review the production than
1: they'd review the songs you know <laughs> yeah the thing is it never bothered me i i always really liked it i, yeah. I never understood why i never understood why um why people didn't like it. it it never it never ever bothered me and maybe that's because at the time i was already very heavily into black and death metal uh you know to where almost, I, I would say, for a period of time, Andy Sneap's production, I, I actually didn't like. Um, I remember hearing Stamping Ground, uh, the, what was the record called? A New Darkness Upon Us. And there was a you know, big fuss made about the fact that Andy Sneap had produced that record. And and for me, his production spoiled the record at first. Years later, I really, really got into it, um, you know, probably by virtue of the fact that memories of seeing that band live or, you know, kind of made that album sort of gain a special spot in my in my collection or my rotation but yeah the, the production never bothered me i always thought it suited the the music really well as you say it's it is raw it's gruffer it's heavier it's more aggressive it it feels like it doesn't actually need polish it it needs something to accentuate that
0: yeah i feel like these remix that they did i do like the guitar tone on it quite a bit like it does sound a little bit heavier to the in um the remix i mean i, I i'm do, but i'm good with either like i don't i feel like um I, I just don't understand the problems but hey like you said i'm coming from a person who listens to black metal and stuff like that so i'm pretty i'm pretty forgiving with raw production you know what i mean
1: <laughs> well i also um i don't feel like uh like warrell when he said to me when i met him that uh anyone who likes. Production for Enemies of Reality probably thought the production on Saint Anger was cutting edge, <laughs> and I kind of very sheepishly sat there and just said, "Hmm, yeah, sure, <laughs> so, no, <even laughs> I liked it." So <laughs>
0: yeah, and I this uh, production on Saint Anger is like horrible, but yeah, Enemies of Reality Dude, is not the that worst. bad. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's fucking terrible.
0: But yeah, so then then in two thousand five we get another masterpiece, This Godless Endeavor, which. I do think it's a little bit of a step down from enemies reality, but it also is really a great album at the same time, you know, like, um, I feel like with this album, again, it's another one of those albums where the first half is really strong. Um, although there are the the promise this album is there's some fat, like, I don't like the song sentient six. I think that could have been cut out of the album. The album would have been a lot better without it, you know, there's a few songs like that on here where you're kind of like the album's a little too long in my opinion. Like it could have been cut down, some of the fat could have been trimmed, and it would have been an even better album. Which, but when it's at its best, this album fucking kicks ass, you know.
1: How fucking dare you? This interview <laughs> is over. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's one thing where where we're gonna be at an impasse. I (laughs) firstly love sentient six. It's one of my favorite Nevermore songs. Oh, really? (laughs) I think the song "This Godless Endeavor" maybe is the best Nevermore song. Um, oh, dude, I I fucking adore this album. I I I don't know why I it 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 just hit me at the right time. I remember hearing the I hearing final product the first time. You know, this was in the early stages of like now it's standard practice if an album's coming out record label's going to release at least two or three singles of the album i i might be mistaken but i think around that time it wasn't really happening all that often but i remember hearing final product for the first time and going oh my god this is going to be a fucking great record um and then you know actually getting the album listening to it um it just it doesn't have a weak moment ever it, it just one banger after the other. Final product is in, in terms of their heavy songs, one of the best songs they've ever written. Yeah, uh, Bittersweet Feast, fucking fantastic. Sentient Six, some of the most phenomenal vocal performance uh, ever captured uh, by Royale Dame. Um, the Psalm of Lydia, incredible. Um, Medicated Nation, fantastic. And then the 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 crown jewel. The final track, the the title song in terms of lyrics, in terms of song structure, performances, that that Rob Helford scream uh, of uh, Worrell right at the end of the song, and he, he shouts, uh, the sky has opened it. It kind of feels like the record ends on this, on this incredible cliffhanger. It is just flawless. The whole record to me is completely and utterly flawless.
0: Yeah. Well, I do agree with you. Disguided Endeavor is an amazing song. You know like you said it's one of their best that they've ever written also i really love born final product like this first part of it but yeah and i don't really like something at six i never did i always skip it when i listen to this album and um Lydia is great you know like i do agree with you this is a really amazing album it's really strong i just do you feel like it gets a little it's a little you know i kind of like the stripped down qualities of, of enemies Reality, where it's a little bit shorter album album's like much longer sounds like almost what 56 yeah. minutes or something like that it's and...
1: nearly an hour it's actually 57 The like, to, to, total time i think is like 57 and all uh, 57 minutes 10 seconds
0: yeah but this is definitely this is my third favorite enemy uh Northmore album you know like this is one of the greatest albums of all time like i like i said when i was getting into ranking i had to choose like does this album have a song they skip and this one does because it has Sentient six so I don't skip the rest of the songs. Though. I like
1: the rest of the songs in the album. I, I, I urge you to, to go back and <laughs> listen to sentient six, just the, the, there's a, there's a bit in sentient six to me that is just like the, some of the height of Worrell's best. I'm going to pull my mic close to my mouth. Some of the height of Worrell's greatest vocal performance. And that is this, this part where he sings, why is this control behavior based and reactive adapting to every new environment? It's, it is, it's fucking phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal.
0: I think I just don't, um, I think I'm just don't really care for it. I'm like the the top the concept of the song just kind of leaves me a little bit cold because I'm not really into like sci-fi shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like oh, it's enough. about it's about AI stuff. I'm like okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not into
1: a bunch of fucking nerd shit.
0: Um, <laughs> but you know, I'll give you that. I mean, maybe I should go back and re-listen to it. But I I, it's I, incredible. The uh, but yeah, I mean, this album is an amazing album overall. You know. and it has an amazing production i do think that Annie sneep did a great job in production this album yes i agree for me like when it kicks off of born like it just fucking that song always just like blew me away every time i put this album on it's just like gets you pumped you know what i mean
1: well it's another one of those songs where you you listen to it and you go you know had this song and final product come out later on how massive could this band have become
0: yeah, I mean, because they're so catchy, you know, like I said, like there's yeah. parts and it, I can think on this album right right now, I can hear the, those songs in my head, you know what I mean? Because they're so like ingrained in my mind and the way the parts on it are so catchy and stick with you, you know. And Bourne has um, blast beats too, so <laughs> mm. you can really hear that that black metal element coming in, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I agree.
0: What songs are you gonna pick from this one?
1: Uh, so from this one, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Sentient Six and This Godless Endeavor are my two my two tunes. Let's see, what did I pick? I picked,
0: I picked Born and Sell My Heart for Stones. All right. Yeah, because uh, I really, although I was thinking about picking This Godless Endeavor as well, but I ended up going with Sell My Heart for Stones because I really like that song a lot. So. Those are well, my... so
1: the, the the irony of it is for me as we kind of segue into the next record the final, the final Nevermore uh, studio album, Um, this goddess endeavor was so epic and it ended on that incredible cliffhanger that I mentioned. The obsidian conspiracy almost sounds to me like a little bit of a, it, it kind of feels like the band knew it was over when that record was being made.
0: Yeah. I would say that, too, like when I was listening to the albums this weekend and you you get done with the the Skyless Endeavor, which is so epic and the album feels like um, it feels like it feels like very much like they could have closed out in that album. And, uh, you know, between that and Emmys reality that you had and Dreaming Neon Black, I mean, you had this like trio of, you know, amazing albums, right? Then Obsidian Conspiracy comes out and in 2010... And there are some good songs on this album. I'll give you, like, I do like, I did pick songs from it. I do like songs from it, but this is not a very good album overall, in my opinion. You know, like, it's like kind of, um, it's got a lot of weak songs on it. I don't think the production is even as good as the last two, last few albums, you know. And um, I do like a lot of world's vocals on it. That's something that saves, saves it sometimes, but it really doesn't feel like when you listen to the endeavor or enemies of reality you're hearing a band firing on all cylinders completely in sync almost like supernaturally so right you mm-hmm. know that's what you're hearing that you don't that's not what you're hearing on this album really I don't, it feels a little bit like pasted together sometimes you know but at its yeah. best it's still as good as the best nevermore but it's definitely i've always felt like this album kind of just feels a little bit off for me you know
1: well, yeah, like I said, I, I've always thought that it 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 feels off in the sense that you can tell the band, you know, they they knew that the, that they weren't going to be together for very much longer, and they weren't. I mean, they broke up a year a year later, um, but it still has great songs, as you say. Um, the termination proclamation is a fantastic song, an incredible song to open the uh, what's the album with. Um, I think that and the maiden spoke is great. The blue marble and the new soul is great. Um, you know, uh, she comes in colors is very very good. There's uh, there there are fantastic songs, but the this I think the sequencing isn't as good. The songs are a lot shorter. It feels like in a way there was less thought put into them. It feels more rushed the record, even though it it was five years after the skyless endeavor that the album came out um and then uh yeah just uh, the the interesting you mentioned the production the production actually sounds cheaper yeah you know, like you know you know like when you see a a tv series and the and the, the budget for the tv it's like the last season of the tv series and the budget for that tv series has been cut and you can see it in the in the production yeah this is that's to me what a, the obsidian conspiracy feels like you can feel that the record label potentially also knew that the writing was on the wall that they were like, well, the advance we're going to give you for this one isn't going to be even close to as high as the one, as what we invested into this goddess endeavor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you compare it to this goddess endeavor is probably one of the best sounding heavy metal albums of all time. You know what I mean? Just like the yes. sound of it, the production, everything's so perfect and heavy. And, uh and yet yeah, time, you can hear world's vocals perfectly, you know, like it's very powerful. Like when you put on this Godless Endeavor is a very powerful sounding album, and literally, if you listen to it in order, if you go straight from This Gatos Endeavor into Obsidian Conspiracy, it's like everything like went like down like this, like the sound mm. level and everything is like quieter. You know, like the album's not as power, like nothing sounds as powerful as it did on that album. You know, mm-hmm. so there's, I don't know, it's weird. Um, yeah. I feel like um, I picked Moonrise Through Mirrors of Death and Emptiness Unobstructed from this this album. I really like those two songs. The ones you mentioned are all really good, too. Like, um, uh, like I said, Termination Proclamation is a great way to open, but those are the two ones that really struck out at me on my last re-listen that I picked out.
1: Uh, I picked out uh, The Termination Proclamation and Without Morals.
0: Yeah, and then one song that that i I'm trying to think is it uh I'm trying to think which, which song is is one that it's like very um oh man i have to think about what which song there's one song on it that i really liked in some ways because i liked uh world's vocal performance felt very like theatrical and it's kind of like a slower song
1: I the, think it blue, might... the blue marble and the new soul
0: that's one yeah i, yeah. I really liked the world's vocal performance on that song like it was like it felt like kind of a little bit different, like he felt like he was like kind of trying out something new on that song, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I think again, interestingly, the year the sun died, uh, the record that Sanctuary brought out four years later, you know, after Warrell had reformed them, that to me is a a far better record than uh uh the Obsidian conspiracy. Oh yeah and sound wise, it also sounds a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> it's a far bolder bigger sounding record it, it it has throwback to this godless endeavor in a way um it has some of warrell's most powerful vocals and and maybe some of his best lyrics in as well i you know i mentioned i am low you know if i had to choose my favorite warrell dane performances i am low is in the top three without a shadow of a doubt right. um it's such a yeah you know, such an anguished song you know the Again, the, the the lyric in the chorus, you know, he he sings when contradiction has killed all our hope. There's nothing between me and the end of the rope. It's, I mean, fucking genius.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, that album I actually came uh to pretty recently. I'd actually, um. I guess I just, I don't know how I missed out, but I didn't, re- when it came out, I didn't actually know that Sanctuary had gotten back together and released that album, you know, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Even though obviously I had been listening to Nevermore and Sanctuary for, for a while at that point. Um so I actually didn't only recently li- finally listen to that album and it blew me away. Like that album is fucking incredible. And like you said, I feel like it's a almost a better follow up to this godless endeavor than Obsidian Conspiracy is, you know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, so how would you do the power ranking then? So we've got seven records. Some how do you rank them seven through down or seven down to one?
0: So, okay. So I guess my power ranking is going to be, since I got, um, so I'm going to preface this that the first two could go either way, depending on my mood right now, I'm going to say enemies of reality, dreaming neon black, this godless endeavor, and then probably, um,
1: so you're doing them in, in, in order of best down to best down to
0: weakest. Yeah. And then, um, from that point, I would say, um, probably politics of ecstasy um dead heart and then well i don't know i'm not sure which one's worse dead heart or obsidian conspiracy but uh
1: probably with the with the with the context obviously right even when they're shit not shit but even even when they're at their worst they're still better than most bands
0: exactly yeah um I'd probably say uh, Dead Heart and then Obsidian Conspiracy and then the self-titled at the bottom because that's the one I probably listen to the least. So
1: So mine would be, um, and I'm going to take it from seven down through one. So seven would be Nevermore. Six would be Dead Heart in a Dead World. Uh, Five would be the Obsidian Conspiracy. Four would be the Politics of Ecstasy. Three would be enemies of reality, and then one or two is interchangeable. Uh, two currently, Dreaming Neon Black, one the Skyless Endeavor. But yeah. that is, I mean, we're talking. It's real yeah. You know, on on like the like the old Donald Duck cartoons where you know a knife drops and it cuts through a hair and the hair splits into two. That's how close it is. It's like that, half a hair between the two of them.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel about the top three. Really but you know i mean obviously we can basically say that the best nevermore albums is uh dreaming neon black enemies reality and uh endeavor like those three albums that came out in a row i mean if you only listen to three things to three albums by nevermore those are the ones to listen to you know you can't go wrong with any of them you know
1: yeah no i agree
0: you know because uh yeah i mean hopefully there's people here who don't know nevermore and are Interested, check them out for listening to this, or if you forgot about them, haven't listened to them a while.
1: If they don't, uh, it's a disgrace. <laughs> so, <laughs> the uh, um,
0: what so be, I guess we should also talk about world Dane solo stuff too, just because it's it's connected, I guess. Like,
1: but both are incredibly disappointing. It's, it's the best way to describe <laughs> them. I think the second album is better than the first. I think the first was, was genuinely a train wreck. Um, and has, that's coming from someone who I think has been made very clear is a huge fan of the man, but uh, I just don't think the first record worked.
0: I like some songs on it. It has some good songs, but it's not like great. You know, it's not. But I I did listen to it this weekend as well, and I was like, um, I thought that it had as better than I remembered it actually because I hadn't listened to it in a while. Some of the songs I liked better than I had liked before. So you know it's it's okay I album. Mean, if you do like world Dane like it's, it's worth listening to like there's a few things it's good and then like you said I think the second album is better yeah which unfortunately was the album that he released when you know he died he died making that album so yeah so unfortunate and um
1: I thought you were about to say it's unfortunate that it that it includes the hanging God and Cure cover
0: well that is unfortunate yeah that that yeah. cover is is that's, so the thing with that cover is they they tried to do something totally different with that song. He did try to do that, but it doesn't work. It's absolutely no. it's absolutely horrendous. Like it doesn't it it, it doesn't work at all. Like it's not it's horrible. Like, sorry, world. But I mean, his Lucretia, my reflection cover was better than that one. That's <laughs> saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like I could listen to Lucretia, my reflection cover, but I can't listen to In garden cover. It's it's dreadful. No. But there's other songs on the album that's that's actually very good. And um yeah, I was really sad when he died. I mean, I it was like 2017 and it was like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe that World Dane was gone and and I know that nevermore had actually been him and Jeff Williams been talking about maybe getting back together as well. And I do think that if that had happened, if World Dane had lived and they could have done more Nevermore as well as if you kept working on Sanctuary, because I was on the cards too. I think that Nevermore might have had a resurgence at that time. But I agree. You know, because, because I mean, I feel like in 2018, uh, what Nevermore was doing is probably would have gone over a lot better than it did in the 2010s. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. 2000s. No, I, I I would absolutely agree with you. And, um, you know, like I said to you before we started recording, you know, that was one of the few um famous people passing away that i was genuinely sad about because you know i, I i'm normally not unempathetic about it but I, I don't think if if you don't know somebody i think it's hard to be truly you know truly morose about it but I, I would say there were probably three people um or three truly famous people that passed away that i was i was sad about and, and one of them was world dane uh, the other two were Pete Steele and uh, Dimebag. Dimebag, because of the circumstances. Pete Steele, because, you know, then we were robbed of any further type of negative music. And that's another band that, to me, is, again, they, they're they in that rare breed of no bad record. Even at their worst, they're still fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, for me, Warrell, it's because I'd met him. And he was such a sincere man and such a, such a nice guy. Uh, I remember him telling me a story about how... Um, So he was talking about his friendship with Chuck Schulter and about him, um, you know, potentially being on tap to do vocals for Control Denied, which was the, uh, like, progressive power metal record that uh, Chuck made, uh, I think, right before he made the last Death album. Uh, And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to do that. I think it it may have had something to do with the fact that Nevermore were going to go on tour. Um, And he actually welled up and, you know, like, was you know, you could hear his, his his voice breaking, you know, when he was telling that story, because you know, you see how disappointed and sad he was that he never had the opportunity to do that. But, um, yeah, he's a, he was an incredible man. And, uh, it's a, it's a real tragedy that, that he never got the, he never got the recognition that he deserves in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, him and Pete Steele too. I mean, the thing, the sad thing is it's kind of a similar thing that got both of them in the end was their alcoholism, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, It's unfortunate, you know, like, just like a a reminder to band guys, like, don't go down that route and, you know, be an alcoholic until up until your 40s, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I know Warrell had gotten to a point in his 40s where, and this was, I mean, because he he spoke to me about this, I think around this godless endeavor. He he had gotten to a point where the doctor literally told him, if you do any more drinking, you're going to die. Um, yeah. the, like, you know, it, it was like, it was that severe where, you know, the damage to his kidneys and his, and his liver had been so severe that he was literally, at, you know, uh, on on pain of death if he had, you know, another drink. Um, so, uh, you know, Pete Steele's alcoholism, I feel was maybe a little bit more public because if you saw a type of play, especially in the last kind of 10 years of their existence, I mean, he would down, four, five bottles of red wine over the course of a single show. I, I, I'm i a red wine drinker and I can have, you know, one or two glasses, even though I, I drink red wine regularly, I can only have one or two glasses before I start feeling the effects. I do not know how you have the capacity to play a show, you know, in, in its entirety of the caliber that some of the shows work Because like, you can go online and you can see some of the shows where, where he's, you know, three sheets to the wind and he's fucking Perfect. Note perfect on <laughs> on a lot of the the lyrics. Some of the lyrics he's just mumbling through, but you know he kind of used to do that in a way where it almost felt like it was intentional. Yeah. But he's you know he's he's bass is sounding fantastic. He sounds superb when he's singing. Um, yeah, I don't know how uh, how Pete Rod of Steel managed to do any of that. Sure.
0: <laughs> no, I don't get it either. Yeah, I couldn't do that. That's for sure. Fuck no, dude. I
1: not in a million years.
0: I haven't even been like drunk, like drunk, like. And I don't even know. I don't remember the last time. I like guess probably been five or six years. And the last time I felt like particularly drunk. Say if I do drink, I have like a beer or two, you know, a glass of wine or two. That's about it. Like if a little buzz or something, that's that's it, you know, like and that's very rarely, you know. So it's like I can not imagine being drunk like all the time or whatever. Like, you know, I hated the feeling of being drunk, anyways, uh, you know.
1: I, I'm the same way. I um, The last time that I was like spectacularly drunk was 2000 and so I've had three incidents. One was um, 2000 and I think 2009. The other was 2011. Those were both with uh, with work. Uh, then one was pretty funny, but I felt like sort of shit the next day, <laughs> me and, uh, me and one of my best friends, Andre, um, we were, we, I was, I was at his house and we we're listening to, you know, music and, you know, one, one glass of wine after the other. And, uh, I wake up the next morning and I look up at the ceiling and I was like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> so I realized, oh my God, I mean, I'm at, I'm at Andre's house and, uh, I, I walk out of the room. And uh he's downstairs and his wife comes down and she's like, What the fuck were you two doing last night? <laughs> and there were between the between the two of us, there were seven and a half bottles of emptied red wine strewn about the house. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, I that was the last time that I ever got like properly in, in, in inebriated. I um the thing for me is I I despise the feeling of being hung over so much. Yeah, I mean. That too. Uh, it, it's nothing nothing about being drunk is in any way worth it to me. Nothing.
0: No. Yeah. That's my big thing is I hate being hungover. I hate the feeling of even when you had just the maybe one too many drinks and you kind of feel a little weird and the next day you don't feel hung over. I hate that feeling, you know? I'm yeah. not let alone being hung over, so yeah, I, a... <laughs> I well, I don't even
1: like being drunk. So it's it's like you know the the feeling that you have when you're when you're drunk and you 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 kind of don't feel like you're hundred percent control of all of your faculties. I can't stand it. Yeah. Um. You know, you, you live on. The, you go out in the mean streets of London nowadays, and you need to have your head on a swivel. In any case, can't be drunk. Yeah. There was be... a story the other day about a guy who's fifty-two years old coming out of a club. Some fucking idiot runs up behind him and and punches him in the back of the head, kills him. Yeah, he just falls forward, hits his head on the pavement, and dies. So, yeah. well, like I said, need need to keep your head on a swivel.
0: Gotta yeah, be careful there in in London. I mean, they on the, take on the mean on the on the mean streets, mate. They, they take away guns, but that doesn't stop people from killing each other.
1: <laughs> they take away guns, but they don't get rid of the scum. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get rid of the riff raff. <laughs>
0: yeah, London and your and England in general has like a huge amount of. Uh, stabbings and violence like that is crazy
1: dude it never used to be like that um it, it's been it's become like that over the course of the last i'd say the last kind of seven to seven to ten years in particular but really the last five years it's accelerated uh, and i'd say after covid it got worse because a lot of the the shops like the shopping district a lot, of those, um, uh, well, a lot of those areas were affected by uh, the lockdowns and things like that. So shops started closing. Um, you know, those places became more derelict. Um, and as they've become more derelict, you know, there's more garbage that uh, is attracted to those areas or those parts of town. And so even places like uh, Oxford Circus, you know, which again used to kind of be the main shopping district, they've now become quite unsafe to a point where the other day the police were announcing that they were going to have to have extra police presence there all throughout the day to try and keep um you know to try and keep the hoodlums under control
0: yeah that happened here too our downtown area is like oh the shop's closed like there's you still go down and like there's like a lot of uh boarded up windows and stuff in the downtown like because no one no one wants to go down there because it's become overrun with you know drug addicts and stuff like that so it's the unfortunate well, the, the, thing the, the of right the issue now. that
1: you have in the u.s with uh, drug addicts and stuff like that with, with drug addiction is is way like exponentially worse than we have uh than we have here in the uk i mean thank thank god for that because if these <laughs> fucking people were on you know opioids god only knows what would have happened
0: or meth meth was the real when i used to work downtown that was the meth addicts who i wish i could have wiped out Do you <laughs> the... wish uh judge dread was uh was
1: uh, <laughs> was a documentary
0: <laughs> yeah like like all the uh the heroin addicts they didn't didn't really bother me too much but it's all the meth addicts that that i'd have to like deal with and scare out of the store and you know, whatever you know they're right mm-hmm. there are the, the people on meth and pcp and shit like that those are the ones you gotta work, look out for <laughs>
1: so, uh, like I said, those safe everybody. Well, you wish
0: RoboCop was real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was great having you on to
1: talk about Nevermore. It's a it's a pleasure as always, my man. And uh, we will. Uh, we, we, what are we? What band are we deep diving into next?
0: Um, well, I know we were talking about uh, My Dying Bride as another band. Yeah, that. Um, so we could potentially do that next because it'll still be winter when we get to that.
1: Yeah, and then next summer, Fugazi.
0: Yeah, and then we'll do Fugazi like in the spring, yeah. summer. Yeah. So I'd say yeah. Let's see, My Dying Bride. Um, you know who for uh, there was a few years where on Spotify, My Dying Bride was my most listened to artist. Like I had like about two or three years in a row because that uh, there was a while where they were they were my favorite art. Like I could say like they were my favorite band. I I haven't listened to them as heavily the past couple of years, but they're still up there you know and uh they have an incredible discography very big discography like if we compare uh Nevermore to Paradise Lost or My Dying Bride I mean we're dealing with about double the amount of albums I think right like yeah yeah because I think uh My Dying Bride I mean I don't know do they have like 12 albums something like that
1: it might be even a little bit more uh, more, I'm yeah. going to be seeing them uh, on the first of December because I'm going to go watch Paradise Lost do Icon, um, and opening for them is My Dying Bride.
0: Yeah that that's like a that's like a dream show for me. Like if I could yeah. see, and the fact that Primordial is going on tour of Paradise Lost as well, like that's like two. You know, it, it. My dream my my dream tour would be Paradise Lost, My Dying Bride, and primordial if i could see all three of those bands at the same show i'd probably die out of happiness right after the show (laughs) ends. you know what i mean
1: (laughs) that uh that new primordial uh record is is uh, i mean it's it's absolutely exceptional yeah it's incredible and you think
0: about like alan's gonna on my list alan's gonna have two of the top albums because i mean both that and verminous serpent are going to be in my top 10 like without a shadow of doubt you know
1: so it's like i'd say yeah I, I would definitely say the new primordial is it's extremely unlikely that it won't be in my top 10 uh verminous serpent is currently in my top 10 but it's there's so many things that could come out uh like we like we've said there's uh you know, we're only speculating but i i think it was a very cryptic move of Mortus to post a photo on the uh funeral mist band camp That to me suggests a a new Funeral Mist album is coming.
0: Yeah. And I just counted My Dang Bride has 13 albums, so I was almost right. But uh but yeah, the um if Funeral Mist release an album, if we get Funeral Mist and uh and Marduk the same year, that's gonna be pretty again, you'll have that'd be uh like uh probably up in the top for sure. You know, funeral mist, It as long unless it unless it sucks,
1: which I highly doubt it would. I mean, never really, yeah. <laughs> no, no such thing as a bad funeral mist record. Exactly. The um the the thing is always like I, I always have a list at the end of the year and then it gets supplemented by the list of others. So like you sent me your stuff last year, and uh Nathan from Gravier sent me his stuff, and like you know, then that you know changed the whole thing again. Uh, you know, and then you have those those surprise records that come out at the back end of the year as well, like Miss Ming came out last year and stuff like that. But, I mean, for me, there's so many things that, you know, it, just elite level this year, Ruin, Ekrom, Vothroch, Venomous Concept, uh, Sodality, Horda, Anarchon, Verminous Serpent, uh, Johnny the Boy. That Johnny the Boy album to me is just fucking astonishing uh, nightmare werewolves. Um, our uh, our friend uh, Drugloff, he's uh, he's new record. Um, Dying Fetus, Marduk. I mean, yeah. Oh, and obviously, we've got Matt Prizzo, who's just on an absolute tear at the moment. You know, that sick album is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. The, uh, so, I mean, uh, The, he, and it's, and you got the Cannibal Corpse album, which was sick. You got like, um, just, um, tons of fucking really killer albums this year like i feel like this is probably one of the strongest years for death metal if any if anything i actually feel like death metal albums this year are possibly even stronger or more of them than black metal um, you know what i mean like yeah i would i would agree with that like there's like been really great black metal albums this year right but the amount of uh, sheer amount of killer death metal albums coming out this year is like i mean like that new dying fetus actually got me into them. Like I'm like, I never really listened to dying fetus before. And I listened to the album and it like blew me away.
1: That is man's music that mate. uh, there's no, no two ways about it. That is straight up man's music. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I mean, I've always been a fan of that band ever since purification through violence. Um, there's not been a single record of theirs that I didn't like, but, uh, this new album, I think they've excelled themselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's like one of those, uh, those years of death metal, I mean, uh, which is crazy. And uh yeah, like I said, we got a lot of good black metal stuff as well. But uh if we who knows what's gonna come. I know Abigor is releasing a new album. I know that Verathron is releasing a new album. Yeah, I know that Mortuary Drape is, is releasing a new album. And yeah, if we get a funeral mist on top of that, it will be awesome. I feel like um it's just a really strong year i mean we went from last year's a strong year this year's a strong year i have my so i have my lists on spotify i have one list where i put everything that comes out this year from all genres you know whatever genre then i have my short list of metal stuff for the podcast and my short list is still <laughs> like fucking 400 something songs or something like that you know what i mean like it's like i was looking at the list as like um the short list is yeah, forty six hours and one minute. <laughs> and, yeah. So
1: my my overall list, I've got a I've got a list on cobras that I keep as well, and I kind of routinely put in anything into that list that I that I like. So my twenty twenty three list is seventy nine hours right now. Yeah. And then what what I tend to do is before I go on holiday, I tend to s- slim it down to um you know the the so this is the long list. I slim it down to the short list. And then uh, you know, and then we we do some calibration. So for, well, yeah. for the four hour, four month, four months, four weeks that I'm away, I'll go through things like with a fine tooth comb and calibrate, recalibrate, and then I'll kind of decide on it. And that's why I always do it at the beginning of the year now. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. But I have like a I have a full list of everything that came out, it's like eighty four hours, and then I've I've been kind of calling it throughout the year of my short list. So I've kind of called about half of what's on my long list already. So but even still I still have too many albums for for uh, even the top top 40, you know what I mean? 46 hours is probably like what? That's probably like 46 albums or something like that, more than that, you know, 48, 49.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that'll be that'll be more than that.
0: So so it's like I have to kind of cut down to uh to smaller. And that's not even with the rest of the albums this year. So that's when you yeah, you got to get into the calibration, figure out what's actually going to go on your list and
1: well, you know, it's a crazy year when even the Cavalera brothers bring out something great. Uh, that uh, that Cavalera uh, re-recording of uh, Best Sealed Devastation and Morbid Visions was spectacular.
0: Yeah, it was very good. I've been kind of um, not sure if I should put it on the list though because it's re-recordings or if I should put it on the list because it is, re- you know, it's an album that came out no, this
1: year. I'm making it easy for myself and disqualifying it because it's a re-recording. There's also a lot of EPs that aren't going on. Yeah, um, just by virtue of the fact that they're EPs. Yeah, that's
0: what I. That's what I did is I've kind of disqualified it because it's re-recording.
1: But it is also a killer
0: release. Um, I'm just know- looking
1: through the rest. The rest of the list: Hex Vessel absolutely has to be on the list. Um, uh, what else? Fossilization, fantastic. Cryptopsy. Um, all of those need to be on as well. Shining. Definite shortlist contender.
0: One one um, band you you need to check out is Terrestrial Hospice. Their new album this year was really very good.
1: Yeah, I'll do that.
0: Um, that unfelled I mean, album, gra- was Grave
1: good. Send, Gowana, Death Stomp. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking genius.
0: The uh, the Church of the Dead album was sick. Yeah, looking at my list as well. And uh, cloak can't forget cloak black flame eternal. That's that's a fucking that's what's up there for me. Hundred percent. Um,
1: I would yeah. also add to that necrofire and obviously our, another one of our friends uh, in privax.
0: Yep, of course had yeah, Trivax new album necrofire. Those are all going to be on my list one hundred percent. The night e- the night eternal. I really like that album a lot. Um. One band you probably should check out is called Burial Hordes. They released a new album. Um, they're like Greek, a cult death metal band, and they're like very. Yeah, I've good. got
1: them. I've got them on the list.
0: Yeah, the new Earth House is great. Uh, Incantation, Woodhouse Nord,
1: mm.
0: like those are all of them. And and still <laughs>
1: The Enslaved album I didn't like very much. I, I I like I like the earlier stuff but I didn't I didn't care for this new album very much. And maybe again it's because there's so many other good stuff coming out that you're a little spoiled for choice. Yeah. Um but uh it didn't do very much for me.
0: I liked, I liked the Rune Magic album it was very good as well.
1: Just I oh, I've mentioned Nightmare already. I tell you what Cattle Decapitation also deserves consideration that record as much as it's got the worst cover in the history of the world it's uh it's an incredible record also the um,
0: the new Prof- profanatica i really like a lot it's like one yeah. of the best albums actually um
1: and then obviously for you i think the new metallica will be very high up on the list as well Oh
0: yeah it'd be very high that oh, that <laughs> that band um ralph suggested to us ruin lust that shit is
1: oh yeah i've got that incredible. on the list too i've, I've not heard that yet
0: Oh, dude, it's fucking incredible! Like, Ralph was was not wrong. It's a, I mean, it's not it's not my favorite death metal album of the year, but it's it's a fucking great death metal album.
1: He's got very selective tastes, does young Ralph? But with the the, the recommendations he does make, he's always spot on about.
0: Yeah, you know, he he definitely has his has his own kind of uh, his own corner of the of the metal world. You know that he, yeah. he recommends, but everything he does recommends great.
1: Yeah, no, very true. Cool. All right, my awesome, brother. brother.
0: Well, have a Thank good you rest Thank I you very much. I will speak to you again very soon. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Take care, dude. You too. Oz is not. Question The reasons why Crippled indecision Repeats the path I once denied Insignificant am I breaks down and gives the day damn-